This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Aaron Friedman, co-founder and CTO at Singular. Aaron, welcome to the Venus of Ours podcast. Yeah, excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Great, Aaron. It's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, okay. It was late March 2018, a pretty unassuming day. Except this is when Apple launched its CAD network. I bet back then many people weren't sure what letters in this acronym should and shouldn't be capitalized, let alone what impact this ad network API from Apple will have on the app industry. Five years forward, it is one of the most discussed topics among mobile app marketers, app publishers, ad networks, and mobile measurement partners, or just MMPs. In this episode, Aaron will tell us about what SCAD Network 4.0 has brought on the table, how big of a deal it is, and more. But first, Aaron, let's kick off this conversation with talking about you first. Please tell us about your background in mobile tech. Um, yeah, so uh, first of all, uh, you know, my name is Aaron Friedman, I'm the CTO and co-founder here at Singular. Um, and yeah, probably like many of the listeners, I started with uh, mobile apps. You know, I was always in in tech, but uh, you know, this is pretty ancient history by now. But uh, I was uh, one of the first employees in a mobile consumer app uh, named Onavo. This was back in two thousand and nine, so really in the early days, I would say, of the kind of uh, mobile uh, uh, industry. I had kind of like a VPN based uh, freemium business uh, uh, to help kind of users get more of their data plans and uh, uh, it was eventually acquired by Facebook in 2013. Um, so, you know, I've experienced myself uh, the or the journey, the challenges, the excitement of like growing a consumer-based business uh, from kind of the early days. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and after that acquisition, uh, myself and two friends of mine, also from Onava, we kind of connected together and said, wow, we're so excited about this industry and we see how the data challenges out there for marketers, which uh, kind of led us to start something of our own and uh, got us to Singular. Yeah, that's that's always great to hear people uh, from people who were at the very beginning of the app industry, from the first steps, they have the best insight into what's going on right now because they saw the industry where it was its infancy. That's always helpful to hear from people who saw like the very beginning of mobile. Now, what is Singular today? Um, how do you guys manage to stand out the rest and be leading mobile uh, marketing analytics and attribution company? Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, you know, we're uh, we're definitely one of the leading MMPs. We're actually ranked number one in G two for uh, uh, mobile uh, attribution marketing analytics. And uh, um, the interesting thing is that we actually didn't start from attribution in the beginning. We want to kind of create the best uh, ultimate marketing analytics uh, uh, product. We wanted to provide like the best data feeds for marketers to really understand what's going on with their campaigns. Uh, many in, there in the industry kind of remember the first uh, cross segregation product that we kind of released into the market. This was like 
way before in like 2014, uh, basically connecting with the ad network APIs, getting all the cost, the campaigns, the creative assets, the budget, speeds, everything that you're basically running in your operation and putting it in a single unified place for you to see the results. And mm -hmm. then we kind of expanded from there towards attribution. Uh, we've actually got the, the MMP license uh, uh, with Facebook and with all the other uh, ad networks and basically connected all the measurement or the attribution results with the ad network APIs that we're connecting with. So really we're the first who kind of were focused on building this unified marketing att attribution. So showing you all the video assets, for example, that you're running, but also connecting it to what are the best videos uh, causing your performance, right? So kind of connecting all the dots from the upper funnel to the lower funnel. And I think that's a bit of what led us also towards like this new era is sometimes uh, we call it kind of this next generation of attribution. Now we're talking about like SK network that you've touched a bit and Android privacy sandbox and media mix modeling. So there are new measurement frameworks going up uh, there and a lot of things coming in very, very fast. And we've kind of put it as our top focus to be like the leading provider in all these new technologies for measurement. And it really ties with kind of our strengths around like data aggregation, data analysis, and making the most out of these. Forgive me my ignorance. You've just mentioned that Facebook uh, ads uh, from Meta. Is uh, TikTok ads under your umbrella? Do you uh, track attribution for TikTok ads as well? Yes, definitely. We support all the major channels out there. So Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, Google, of course. Uh, all the ad networks out there, we have 100% coverage of all the uh, UA channels out there for attribution and also for analytics. So I can even show kind of the assets that you're running with TikTok and all your campaign details side by side with your attribution results. The app industry is vast. To navigate this space, you need a directory to look up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofapps.com slash marketplace slash podcast. And now back to the show. Gotcha. That's, that's crucial. That's important. Before covering the Sketnetwork 4.0 specifics, um, what is Sketnetwork in general? That's a, yep. So uh, that's a, that's an important question. And for, to answer that, we need to come, go a bit, come back in time to like about two years ago with, uh, uh, kind of the dramatic announcement that Apple had for iOS. Uh, I'm sure pretty much everyone probably among the listeners kind of familiar with ATT or IDFA and kind of the privacy changes that happened then. Basically, Apple, uh, until again, I'm familiar with a lot of the long history of like what happened in iOS until that point. But just to maybe uh, keep it brief, the entire mm -hmm. industry has been operating on uh, using a, an ID called the IDFA, ID for Advertising for various advertising needs, for campaign optimization, for measurement, for attribution, for retargeting. And the idea was that every device had a single IDFA that every app can basically access unless the user opts out and you can use it for very clear and device and attribution. And two years ago, basically Apple announced the ATT change, the app tracking transparency change in which they decided that IDFA would now be not accessible by default for any app. And to get access, they have to show this famous ATT pop-up asking for right. consent that are tracking across apps and uh, users from different apps. Um, naturally, as you can imagine, most of the users don't click allow tracking uh, when they see that pop-up. 
So that caused, caused and pretty much expected, I think, by Apple, a low percentage of users in which you can actually access the IDFA. So that's was expected to be pretty dramatic news and a huge impact on the industry. Exactly. With that, though, Apple proposed basically a new approach. They've introduced in iOS 14 point, uh, basically in iOS 14.0 and kind of progressed throughout uh, the iOS versions, uh, a new firmware called SK Network. In iOS 14.0, it was SK Network version 2.0, basically. And uh, the idea was it's a new API to provide attribution measurement in an anonymized way, a privacy safe way is they, how they've called it. The idea is it's aggregated, it's anonymized, but it shows you, it can basically enable you to see your performance, how many installs you got, how many purchases you got, how much revenue you got from your marketing campaigns, but without compromising on the user identity or the user privacy. Um, so on the one hand, the yeah. advantage of using SK Network is that it covers all of your users. The users don't need to consent for tracking or anything. SK Network works across all of them, regardless of consent, because it's anonymized. The downside, though, is it's very, very different from what the industry has been used to. It works like anonymously aggregated. It's very different. It had many limitations out there that just made it difficult for the industry to work with which kind of leads us to kind of the gradual improvements that Apple did throughout the, the years, basically, until we got to like App, uh, Apple's SKNet version 4.0 that now we've got to and we're talking about. Yeah, so essentially it was the Apple's uh, answer on this reconciliation to be able to track performance of your ad advertising campaigns and keep users happy, respecting their privacy. Uh, so where the iteration 4.0 of this Apple's attempt to make everybody happy. Uh, so uh, as far as I know, uh, this latest um, 4.0 version brings five major updates for SCAD network. So let's cover them briefly, starting with crowd anonymity and source identifier. What are these? Um, so we'll get, let's go through these uh, step by step. Uh, crowd anonymity is a really interesting concept and in that a bit of a, a revamp that they did around uh, what was previously named as privacy thresholds. So just to explain things a bit around the basics, SK Network has a kind of a design around the volume of the campaigns. They basically say that if you're running very um, low volume campaigns, you know, you're getting like one insult per day or like two insults per day, then whatever results they would give you, you could potentially figure out who those users are, right? In very exactly. low volumes of mm -hmm. matter. Um, so they've introduced, this was already in SK Network 2.0, they've introduced a concept called privacy thresholds in which by default, if you have very low volume, you would not get much information. You would just know that you got that number of instances, but without knowing what are what is the value of those users, what did these users actually do? Um, and once you pass the privacy thresholds, then you start getting full information. You know, full information is that maybe a, uh, a bit uh, uh, too um, uh, optimistic to say, but you get more information more. about mm -hmm. these users. It's called the conversion value exactly uh, across this campaign. So you can think about the privacy thresholds as like a binary decision. Uh, either you pass them or not. If you didn't pass them, you're not getting anything. And you've mm -hmm. passed them, you get a lot more information. Um, 
The challenge though, and that's what led us to crowd anonymity, is that it was a very simplified threshold. And many, you know, like smarter studios, for example, smarter app marketers, just don't have the massive volumes of campaigns, right? So they're just getting no information at all. It was practically impossible for them to optimize the scale network. Mm -hmm. So with crowd anonymity, Apple basically introduced multiple tiers, as they call it, for crowd anonymity. They're saying, now it's not just a single threshold, there's a different tiers that you can be in. And the higher the tier that you are, the higher crowd that you are, then the more value they're gonna get because the more anonymous they are. So in the very, very, very low uh, tier, in which again, getting just barely one or two installs, you're not still not getting anything. But just if you're kind of increasing the volume a bit further, you're already starting to get like, a, a bit more details. And if you continue scaling with the campaigns, which is mostly for you know the more large scale advertisers out there, you'll get more and more information out there. Um, and that maybe leads me to the kind of second concept that you've uh, mentioned, of course, the source identifier. And I think it really, demonstrates how crowd anonymity is used. So by default, basically source identifier means where did this user come from? Where did the scan performance come from? Is it from a specific campaign, a specific creative, a specific geography? And naturally the more granular it is, you know, like users who came from a specific campaign uh, and usually there's like less users coming from them. And there's again, concerns around privacy or whether you can figure out who these are. So Apple introduced in this new feature called Source Identifier, the ability to tie to crowd anonymity. They basically say that, again, when you just start the campaign, you don't have much volume, the Source Identifier is going to be limited to pretty high level granularity, basically only just at the campaign level, let's say. Uh, they've used kind of from a technical perspective, they're hiding their this full Source Identifier is based on four digits. So you mm -hmm. can think about it as like a number between one and 10,000. And in the beginning, in the lowest crowd anonymity, they only show two digits. And those two digits would usually be mapped to a specific campaign that you're running. But if you're scaling up and you're running more and more installs and getting mm -hmm. more installs, they'll uncover more digits of those source identifiers. So now the third digit can be, let's say, the country from which the user came from. Or the fourth digit can be from which creative did the user came, come from. Uh, each network can basically use that source identifier according to how they see fit. But the idea again is with higher volume, you get more information, more granularity about the user. So from what you can see as of right now, this level of granularity introduced by Apple is enough. I mean, the, the concept was originated you know, beforehand, before practice. Now people have run a number of campaigns, like there is a real experience do you think there's room to improvement for this concept or it's pretty good as of right now? <laughs> um, I would say, well, a few things. First of all, there's definitely always room for improvement. I mean, generally, Scanwork is still extremely new for us and it's very, you know, very different from what everyone is used to. You used to know an exact IDFA and all the details where it came from, like which yeah. campaign, which ad set, which creative, which year, you knew basically everything. And now you're kind of limited to those digits and how they're encoded and what's provided and the, those tiers. It's, you know, much more difficult to get around with. Um, so I think the entire industry is still getting used even to the concept. SK Network 4 was just released in November. Right, Most of right. the networks didn't even you know, make the adjustments to kind of support it. So right now everyone is basically in like testing mode, seeing those first results, 
sing the level of the granularity that you're seeing. And I think we would probably need, uh, the industry would probably need a few months at least to yeah. kind of get the feeling of whether it's good enough to run campaigns at scale or whether they're looking for more improvements there. So uh, generally speaking, um, no matter how much, how much granular the a crowd anonymity concept will be, it will be approximation still compared to the IDFA usage previously, but we need a few more months to, it remains to be seen, let's say in six months, uh, what will be the uh, kind of a general uh, assessment of how good or bad crowd anonymity works in real life. Next up is multiple postbacks. Uh, what does this one bring for mobile app marketers and why do we need more postbacks? Uh, that's a great question. So, um, okay. So again, kind of returning to previous versions of SKM network, um, mm -hmm. you know what, maybe even going before to when you had IDFA, postbacks are basically talking about uh, the ability to send multiple signals to both the ad networks and seeing multiple events that the user did throughout their lifetime. So before you had an IDFA, you know from the beginning where it belonged to, and you see all the events that that IDFA did. They went through a registration, maybe, maybe if it's a gaming app, then they went through kind of the levels of the app, maybe they entered the store, maybe they made a purchase and so forth. You see basically the entire lifetime of the user. And the networks also receive the data. You can send postbacks across all of the events. So, you know, each network would basically see essentially everything. Um, with SK Network, 2.0, kind of the initial uh, release there, um, they essentially supported only a single postback to be sent. And it was only after a pretty, um, I would say, complicated timer mechanism uh, that can be controlled. But the bottom line is that the most simple, simplest way to use it was after 24 hours, meaning that from the first time that the user opens the app, you had only 24 hours to essentially decide what's the value of the user, what type of events kind of the user is making. Then after 24 hours, send a single post back with the value of the user. Uh, so it's only a single time in which you're getting a signal. And there's a lot of sophistication that's being done by MMPs like ours and trying to capture as much signal in it. For example, if we know that the user passed like 10 uh, levels and made a purchase, so they had like a revenue range of that purchase and uh, trying to combine all that information in a number that's been included in this single post back after 24 hours. Now, you can already imagine the possible limitations from these because many gaming companies, for example, only have in-app purchases after long after 24 hours. Like most users on this start playing the game and you know they might make a right. purchase after seven days or 30 days or even longer than that. So a single post back after 24 hours really didn't include enough meaningful information to understand whether your campaign is performing. Um, so this is probably one of the most, uh, I would say exciting features in SK Network 4.0, because it seems that Apple recognized that limitation and they opened up this post back mechanism up to, instead of one postback, up to three different postbacks in specific time windows and longer time windows than we had before. So now you'll have the first postback after two days, the second postback after seven days, and then the third postback after 35 days. So it basically gives you three different opportunities from when the user opened the app after two, seven, and 35 days to collect something and send it back to the network and for a self for measurement. 
And now when you have at least 35 days of activity of the user, it becomes, you know, much possibly, you know, possibly easier to understand whether they made a purchase, whether they succeeded in their trial of the subscription, whether they went through kind of a purchase order. So there's an opportunity to make many more events that can provide a signal on uh, your uh, campaign. I think it's one of the most exciting features of uh, SKN Top 4. Right. So totally makes sense. We all live very unpredictable, complicated lives. There is no way you can guarantee that the bulk of your users will be taking specific action within the first day. It, it always varies. Uh, the same people uh, downloading the apps from you in different situations, different time of the year will be behaving differently. Like time constraints will always be varied. So yeah, these postbacks do make sense. These time frames absolutely will allow you to be more efficient with your um, tracking of your ad campaigns. Now, next up, uh, postback delays and locking conversion values. What is this one is about? Right. So, you know, maybe a bit of like the bad news or like the hidden small letters around this new feature of multiple postbacks is, again, Apple has like all these trade-offs between giving you more information but mm -hmm. also protecting the user privacy. And they've also introduced it in this specific feature. And basically they've said, okay, so you're going to have those second and third postback, but we're going to introduce more randomness in these postbacks. So those postbacks won't be sent exactly after seven days, but they would actually wait on the device for a random time between one and six days after the window has been finished, and then mm -hmm. it would be sent in a random time to the network. So basically it means if we take an example that, okay, the user made the significant, like say they made a purchase on the 35th day, right? Just at the end of that time window and you were able to capture it and encode it, then the postback would kind of lock the, the value there after 35 days by default with a random period of time, let's say up to six more days. So with a total of 41 days, if you can count 35 plus six and then send it to the network. And the idea is that you wouldn't know at which day actually it happened. Just it happened in the range of, you know, around six days, essentially. Uh, makes it more difficult to identify specific users, exactly. still providing aggregate information, but naturally making it much more complicated to figure out, okay, I've made a change in Monday. You know, once I start seeing kind of postbacks after a month, basically, uh, you know, which is it before my change or after my change? I suddenly need to wait to see to really be sure. Uh, so it adds more complexity there. Uh, so that's the concept of postbacks delays and the random that they've introduced. Now, another concept that Apple kind of uh, uh, tried to build in the feature is they recognize that maybe for some marketers, 35 days can be sometimes too long to wait for postback. Let's say you have a subscription uh, uh, trial that ends after 10 days, for example, and you don't want to wait for 35 days until you get that postback. So they added a feature called the locking mechanism in which the developer can choose to lock the value after just 10 days, for example, say, okay, I want to encode the events that happen after 10 days. Let's say I pass the subscription or not, and then lock it. And from there, the delay mechanism would start. There would still be a random timer and the network would be, uh, get the post back. So the idea is that you have the option to shorten those strict time windows that we talked about, two days, seven days, and 35 days, you can shorten them to whatever you feel is suitable for your need in use case, basically. Um, on the one hand, that's definitely great news. It provides more flexibility. 
but it also adds some complicated manners. What happens if the user actually opened the app after 14 days and not 10 days? Do you lock it or not? If you lock it, then it kind of depends on when the user actually opened the app. And then you basically have, would have no idea from which time that user happened because all the random and the locking just cause all the postback to be sent in very random days. So we'd, we would basically be able to look at maybe a monthly granularity of your campaigns and not really a daily granularity. So you can see that uh, using these lockings and with the additional randomness, it has advantages for getting more real-time feedback but it introduces more random to the behavior and makes it more complicated to analyze the results. Yeah, I see. Unavoidable consequence you have to deal with. Um, yep. Next up is web to app support. Um, um, this number in my head from reading recent news that like 84% e-commerce uh, is taking place in mobile apps, but still it's not 100. Uh, so what's happening in the mobile browser still matters. And Apple is closing this gap. Uh, so they're providing web to app support. What do app marketers need to know about this one? Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's, like you said, definitely there's a large portion of uh, users who come from kind of uh, web, but it really depends on the use case and the app that you have. Uh, there are many companies who have like apps in which uh, like the standard kind of user flow for them is from app to app, basically mm -hmm. native kind of classic app but there are also many use cases in which uh, let's say if you have an app but you also have a website for example and it's pretty uh, significant right you're running maybe web campaigns for example or you're getting just like traffic from google search for example right or from mm -hmm. other website uh, sources think about like uh, reddit for example reddit.com or any other kind of publishers or have heavy uh, web traffic if you are using any of those sources, or if you feel that they match your use case, you think that it would be valuable for those users to come from, then definitely it's good news for you, right? Because now as a marketer, for them, SKNO just didn't support them at all. You couldn't track users coming from websites, and now it's mm -hmm. possible. So my recommendation would be to think about the use cases of your users, where it would make sense for them to see the, the ad for your app. And if it's coming from websites, definitely reach out to these networks, channels, publishers, and ask if they have plans to now integrate with SKN Network and allow running those campaigns. Gotcha. All right. Finally, conversion value decrease. Why this one is important? Yeah. So previously in SKN Network, conversion values, basically those events that you're collecting about the user, could only increase up. Um, so, you know, again, if they're passed through levers of the game or made an in-app purchase and so forth, those values could only go up and that was kind of the classic use case. However, there are many cases in which, especially if you think about multiple postbacks in a longer time period of the user, in mm -hmm. which you might realize that the value of the user actually goes down with time. Maybe for example, if, they, if it's a subscription app and they started a trial, you can say that, okay, it's kind of a high value user or medium level user but if at some point they've canceled the trial or decide they're not opting in, then maybe you want to decrease the value of the user because you know the trial wasn't successful. So it made sense once they've introduced the increased timeline that they want to provide the option for developers to decide if the value of the user actually now can decrease and not just keep increasing with time. Because there are actions that they can do that dignifies that it might not be the best uh, match user for them as well. Now, 
Aaron, um, in your estimate, you touched on this briefly previously a bit, but just in general terms, uh, these updates for SCAD network, is there room for improvement? Like how they meet the hopes and dreams of uh, mobile marketers as of today? <laughs> um, yeah, I think the hopes and dreams of marketers is to go two years in time, back in time, and, uh, you know, kind of uh, get back to the idea phase. Maybe that's kind of the, the dreams, but uh, uh, it, it's probably just dreams by this point. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to imagine as kind of getting to that kind of dreamy level that, that we had before. But I think there's definitely a lot of creative ways and kind of features that could be added and improved to at least, uh, you know, get us closer and closer to like making sure that we have a clear and accurate and performance uh, marketing at scale. Uh, yes, there are still gaps in SK Network that would be interesting for Apple to uh, handle. For example, um, SK Network only handles uh, basically new user or basically app download uh, measurements. So only if you don't have the app yet in your device, then SK Network would work and send the post back. But there are many cases, especially now that we don't have IDFA, that ads are shown to users who actually already have the app and you might not even be aware. If the user would actually click the ad, might be for legitimate reasons, but they already have the app installed, then SK Network would just not function. You won't see anything. You wouldn't even know that it happened. So everything around like re-engaging users and like thinking about like, uh, uh, um, basically think about the frequency of the ads for existing users could definitely benefit from more signals about SK Network showing for existing users as well. So some of the things that I think can be interesting for them. And definitely with all these like new features of granularity and kind of longer for, of course, I think we're just in the early stage and the industry is kind of testing things. And I'm sure that uh, we'll see challenges and issues and we can share feedback with Apple. And um, my guess is definitely there would be continued new versions of SK Network to support additional use cases. I hear you go back in time, but unfortunately, we can only travel forward in time, one second at a time. <laughs> yep. All right. Sure. My final question for the first part of the show is this. I tend to ask this question um, a lot lately to people who are in uh, mobile advertising and app industry for a number of years, which is the case for you for sure. What would you like to change about mobile app industry the most? Hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, on top of my mind, I just think, uh, you know, I just love this industry. It's really the best industry. It's like uh, people are super smart. They're kind, they're innovative. It's uh, a very dynamic industry. So uh, uh, there's no like a thing that I would say, like I would want to change like for the better because it's like bad or anything like that. So I wouldn't change anything from that regard. But I think there are uh, things that I'm excited about, like changes in the industry that I think are really kind of encourage like even more innovation and kind of interesting opportunities for exploration. Like, for example, now the discussions and you know the rumors on like potential uh, uh, new app store uh, ecosystems that might be opened up both on, on uh, iOS and Android, with kind of the notion that maybe you would have more than just a single app store. But multiple ways or multiple places in which you can actually distribute your apps, I think it's really interesting to kind of think about and like the possible explorations and ways to kind of discover apps. I think that's a, 
it's been kind of interesting limit, limitation in a way or like characteristic of this uh, ecosystem until now that everything was very consolidated in like single app stores and it will be interesting to see how it uh, opens up uh, now. Uh, but yeah, that's the only thing on top of mind. Yeah, Shiv, it's very interesting to see what Microsoft is doing right now, especially their huge leg up with ChatGPT, which uh, kind of uh, cut up many people off guard, uh, including Google uh, for a certain degree. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it remains to be seen how uh, Microsoft will be able to change this uh, so familiar, so well, well established the uh, duopoly of iOS and Android. Um, all right, we're switching to the second part of the show, which is a quick one. I just want to give a chance to my audience know the people who are coming in the show a little bit better. So hence, the, these are quick questions. All right, what smartphone do you have now? Uh, are you been switching between both sides, iOS and Android, or staying kind of on one side all the time? Hmm. Uh, yeah, so right now I have an iPhone 13, uh, and I also have a Pixel 5. Uh, so my main device is iPhone. I've been an iPhone user uh, since the early start, uh, yeah, since uh, 2009 with my iPhone 3G. Um, uh, but I always have uh, kind of in my pocket another uh, Pixel, and I've been kind of playing around with the Android devices as well, just to make sure that I keep in touch with the Android ecosystem too. Right, you have to, that's, that's your job. Uh, what was your exactly. first mobile phone? You know, before right, so, iPhone, yeah, you know, just, those uh, first phones you can put in your pocket, that era. Oh, wow, yeah. So it was uh, a Nokia, wow, I forgot the, the model, but it was kind of the classic Nokia model that like was everywhere basically. <laughs> like uh, it was a very kind of classic, uh, uh, small, very convenient kind of uh, uh, Nokia models uh, um, uh, phone, and uh, yeah, I loved it uh, for sure. <laughs> right, we're, and as as we're moving in time, uh, uh, there's a there will be interesting period that some folks will will there will be a generation that do not remember that those times, and you know what was Nokia thirty three ten or something will not ring yeah. a bell for these people because they just completely um, past that period because they were born later and only we will be remembering those times um, yeah, just means that we're old that's all exactly <laughs> yeah. imagine you've left your smartphone at home for whatever reason you're out what is the most missing feature for you um, so if I'm without a phone uh, you know, at least I have my Apple Watch with me, so uh, <laughs> I feel more comfortable. But uh, yeah. no, in terms of like, uh, um, in terms of like uh, features on my phone, you know, I'm like constantly emailing and texting and like you know checking kind of uh, things. So uh, I think that would that's kind of the first thing uh, in mind. More of like the basics. It was less like uh, I don't know, like I'm not as attached to like my social feeds or anything like that, but but more kind of communication Which is good. and such. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Um, what news? What new technologies uh, for mobile are you most excited about, uh, or waiting to surface? Uh, hardware, software, not necessarily something that we're all reading here about in, in the news, but for you specifically, what would you like your phone to be able to do, which is not capable of doing right now? Um, 
Well, I think there's a, obviously a lot of interesting developments around generative AI and ChatGPT and kind of LLM models and all that. I think it's opened up tons of opportunities in interesting ways to think about like app technology and like new ways that the app and that phone can help me. Um, you know, we're, we just have like uh, this uh, um, uh, customer that I've been using uh, their app recently uh, um, called the Word Tune. It's by uh, a company named the AI21. And it's a fantastic app uh, using generative AI. And basically, it's a keyboard that you install in your uh, phone. And it helps you phrase your thoughts while you're kind of uh, um, writing. So, you know, I'm using like notes a lot, using email a lot. And basically, based on kind of the context that he has, it proposes like different phrases or ways that I can kind of think about how to write and helps me like, unlock in a way like my creative writing in a sense. So I think it's just like an example of where like, you can think about how are these apps can help you like unlock creativity and mm -hmm. think about different ways and things. And I think it's exciting. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. And uh, I'm dying to know what Apple will be telling from the WWDC stage this summer about AI, if anything. This is a really interesting area for Apple. Um, something is going on behind the scenes for sure. Um, all right, very, very final question before I let you go. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do? Right, so, uh, you know, other standard uh, ways, of course, you can check our website at singer.net. Um, you can write me an email uh, around at singer.net, uh, or you can hit me on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, everywhere. Just look for uh, Aaron Friedman, it's uh, Singer, and uh, feel free to send me a message, connect, and always happy to chat with the industry. Great. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. Thank you. Of course. Bye -bye. Thank you for having me. And that was Aaron Friedman, co-founder and CTO at Singular. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for business of apps and you will find us easily. Remember, we release episodes on Mondays. So subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.